Hi, this is Patsy with a Z. That's P-A-T-Z-I. I have a radio program called Joy on Paper, a program for writers and those who dream of writing, and for everyone who wants to know the story behind the book. With all the recent events in Iran, I would like to play an interview I had with Andrew Scott Cooper, the author of The Fall of Heaven, The Pahlavis, and The Final Days of Imperial Iran. It is a brilliant book about a very important time in world history. And for anyone who is interested in what is happening in Iran, this is an essential book. Thanks to the author's brilliant pacing, this book is a gripping account of the downfall of the Shah of Iran. It will open your eyes to the past and offer hope for the future of Iran as we watch events unfold over the next few months. with a Z. Welcome to Joy on Paper, a program for writers and those who dream of writing. My very special guest today, I don't know what's happening. We are trying to get him, Andrew Scott Cooper, and I am so excited to talk to him about his book, particularly because I had been there and I, I know uh, something about it, The Fall of Heaven, the story behind the Shah of Iran and the Pahlavis. Uh, so, okay, are we on? Andrew, are you there? Hi, can you hear me? I hear you. I hear you, Andrew. Oh, this is exciting. I'm so happy. <laughs> okay. Uh, technology. How are yes, you? Yes, I'm fine. Thank you very much. I'm so I'm so happy because I, now I can stop talking and you can talk. So uh, <laughs> we have on the air Andrew Scott Cooper. You are such an amazing author. And we're going to talk about the fall of heaven, the Pahlavis, and the final days of imperial Iran. Uh, because as I mentioned to you, I think it's so important. You know, unfortunately, we have, it's just human nature that people follow one story at a time. And Iran is so important. And I think people should know more about Iran. And yes. there's such a lack of understanding of what Iran is and the potential of Iran becoming an ally. The Iranian people are fantastic. And yes. I so hope that there can be a deeper understanding of Iran. And I think it will start with your book because you capture some a very important period of time. So tell us about the fall of heaven and tell us something for listeners who don't know a little bit about the history of Iran. So um, the, my, my work and both my books, um, the latest is The Fall of Heaven, are really uh, looking at exploring the uh, period when the United States and Iran enjoyed a very close relationship in the uh, during the Cold War, particularly during the 1970s. And uh, um, I, I agree with you. I think the history is very important. And in fact, I don't think the two countries can really move past the events of 1979 with the revolution unless historians um, start to dig into that period. And What's happening now is we have finally we have access to declassified documents from the uh, Nixon, Ford and Carter administrations. And so we have a much bigger, much better picture of what was really going on inside the Carter White House during the, uh, the fall of the Shah, but also what was going on in the palace. And that's really what I wanted to look at um, as someone who I mean, I love history. I've been reading history books since I was a, a kid and I have never seen anyone explain to me what it was like for the Shah and the royal family and their entourage during the collapse in 1978-79. So the book is really um, 
takes you inside the palace. And I was very fortunate to uh, have um, access to uh, the late Shah's widow, Empress Farah, um, to the royal family, and to the people who knew the Shah the best, so that I could reconstruct events on a day-by-day basis. Well, I think it is important that people under, have a more nuanced understanding of the Shah because all is in the minds of most people is, oh, he's a bad guy, you know, and there's yep. there was such a depth to him and he had so many hopes for his country that I think it is important that people understand a little bit more about him and, of course, his wife, who was absolutely and is absolutely brilliant. Yes. I mean, uh, it, you know, when, when we look at the Shah today, scholars and historians look at the Shah, um, we see someone different to the person that uh, I think a lot of people saw in 1979 when he left the country. I think, uh, you know, uh, with 40 years behind us, we can look at the Shah and see that he was he had actually embarked on this remarkable program of uh, social and economic reforms to try and bring a very poor country into the 20th century. And also, it's important to remember, actually, that he achieved great successes during that time. You know, just focus on the issue of women's rights. The reason why so many young Iranians today are angry with their parents and grandparents for demonstrating against the Shah and the royal family is because women in Iran do not enjoy the same freedoms that they had under the Shah, that that, they that the personal uh, liberties that he was trying to bring in have actually been uh, you know, vanquished. So we, we now look back at the Shah, and I think there's much more empathy and understanding on the part of not only scholars, but also inside Iran. It's very important. Americans, I, I don't think they understand the extent to which there is a whole revival of popular interest in, in the royal family, not just in the Shah, but, you know, today Empress Farah is regarded as an absolute icon, uh, especially among young Iranian women who write to her in the tens of thousands. And, uh, you know, she, she is still doing work today. Uh, this is not someone who in exile has put her feet up and is spending her day shopping. She is a very hardworking person. If you're in contact with the Empress you'll get texts from her at 10 and 11 o'clock at night because she is working seven days a week. Um, and so for her, you know, the revolution obviously led to a great change personally, but she still retains that connection with the Iranian people. Well, the Shah had really these goals of bringing Iran into the the future to make sure that Iranians were paired. And unfortunately, people don't understand that there are so many good things that he did for the country. Yeah, and he, and he, he, he achieved many successes. And I think that Iranians today, when they look back, um, are much more sympathetic towards what he was trying to do. I think there was a profound misunderstanding at the time about his goals. This was someone who was not a very good public speaker, the Shah was not someone who could come out. He was not, first of all, not comfortable with crowds. He was a very shy man, and he was he preferred surrounding himself with experts. So he was not a good person uh, on the street. And by contrast to the Empress, who, uh, as I sort of describe it during in the book during the revolution, made it several remarkable forays into demonstrating crowds to try and assure people that the, the, the security forces, the Shah was, you know, was still um, going to survive. But I think the Shah had this program. He was encouraged by the United States and by Western governments to modernize and westernize Iran. Um, he went very fast. Uh, I think that everyone agrees today that he, he 
try to do too much too soon. But when you're in Iran, as I was uh, four years ago, you, you actually see uh, what he built. And I think that's one reason why historians look back today and, and sort of can, we can see that his work was not expunged or destroyed by the revolutionaries. Actually, they took his projects and his work and built on it and then claimed it as their own. How did you get involved with this project? How, did, how Yes. What was the impetus for this? Well, I, I read a history book starting from the age of about seven years, seven, eight years old. And I was I was eight years old when the revolution happened. And, you know, like a lot of people, I watched it on TV. I grew up in New Zealand. And uh, as I grew older, I always expected someone to write the definitive account of what happened so that I could understand. Because I think it's anytime you talk about a big revolution like um, uh, the French or Russian Iranian revolutions, you know, we're talking about the epic sweep of history here. And it is remarkable that the literature on what happened in Iran in the 1970s is so thin. And it is dominated by a particular type of um, political scientist. Most of the books were written in the early 80s. Uh, the literature uh, is is outdated and does not reflect the classified, the declassified information we have now. So I was living in New York in 2006. I was in an office job. I was really bored and um, I decided that I was going to change my life. But I, I wanted to start a part-time history research project before I made the plunge back into history studies. So I was the first scholar to access the papers of uh, General Brent Scowcroft, who I think some of your readers will remember. Well, he's a fantastic guy. He's still around. And he was uh, Kissinger's deputy in, under Nixon and Ford. And then he became Ford's last national security advisor. Those, those transcripts um, revolutionized I think have revolutionized our way of looking at how the Shah handled relations with the U.S., uh, this is not a guy who was who was um, a puppet. This is someone who actually was controlling the relationship, especially after the oil shock. And I think that when that narrative came out in my first book, Oil Kings, it opened the door for me to do the book that I had always wanted to do, which was an inside the palace account of how the royal household dealt with the uh, rise of Islamic fundamentalism and what went wrong. And I think it's really important that when we look at the Middle East today and we, we see what's happened in Syria and Libya, um, we have to try and understand the collapse that happened in Iran in 1978-79 because this was the first domino to fall in a way. And I think that not enough work has been done uh, looking at what happened and also trying to understand how did the U.S. respond and how did U.S. officials, Carter administration officials, what mistakes did they make when they were trying to help the Shah towards the end or not help? It's fascinating that someone who was not a history, you were just doing a regular job and, and yeah. you decided yeah. to, to step into it. That's, I think Absolutely. that's wonderful because that's, you know, it's encouraging, I think, to everybody out there who has in the back of their mind that they, they want to write because, wow, first of all, you come with the Oil Kings, which was so, so well received and so popular. I think the reason that I wanted to talk to you about this book, the new book, is because, as I said, I hope that we can see a change in that Iranians, younger generation Iranians, and the old ones who, who remember those days of the Shah, love America, and they didn't want to be enemies of America and I think that we have such potential there that if we start to understand the country and to understand, for example, the Shah was trying to do and why he wanted to do it, 
there might be hope for peace. Well, I absolutely believe that. And, um, you know, there's, a, there's this, this saying that Iran has the most pro-American population in the Middle East and the most anti-American government. And I think that's so true, because if you've ever been fortunate enough to travel to Iran, and you can, American And tourists, I have, and I have. And so you know how beautiful it is, and you know how warm and hospitable the Iranian people are. I mean, you're practically treated as a celebrity when you go. It's it's quite, it's, it is a revelation. And I, I think that, um, you know, uh, I, I was so struck at over the Christmas holiday, New Year break uh, holidays when we had this recent round of unrest in Iran. Now, uh, the first couple of days, crowds were out in the streets chanting in support of the late Shah and the Shah's son, uh, Reza Pahlavi, who lives in exile in the United States. They were chanting in support of the royal family, even though the royal family left uh, 39 years ago, uh, On actually on February February 10th is the anniversary of the revolution. And they were comparing the Islamic Republic to the monarchy. And I think that when you, you know, clearly the younger generation of Iranians is way, way ahead of where many Americans are. I'm still struck by the fact that when I talk to other Americans, or they, they ask, you know, what do you write about? And they say, I write about the Shah. And they say, oh, he was so bad, or he was the butcher. Um, you know, there's so much more that we now know about the situation inside Iran in the 1970s. It's it's a much more nuanced position, p- picture, as you as you rightly said. And the, the, the United States, I think, uh, people are living, we're trapped in this bubble of 1979. I think the Iranians have actually moved much farther along than, than we have. We're still living with this image of people burning flags and the hostages and the whole thing. I think the Iranian people want to rejoin the international community. I think they have a government, a regime that they generally uh, hate, but they're stuck with it at the moment. you know, and I think that we have to hopefully uh, be a little supportive and understanding of the fact they have a government that they don't like. And I think this book will help people. First of all, it, it's a good read. You know, I always like a book that just flows, very well written, fascinating. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the Empress, because I think that's that probably is one of the keys to why your book is so interesting, because she is such a fascinating person. You know, she's uh, trained as an architect. Was she uh, in the book? You know, I, I say that she is the most influential female sovereign and accomplished female sovereign of the 20th century. And actually, you go back to Catherine the Great of Russia to look for another woman on the throne who has really had as much many resources at her disposal. Uh, you know, I was very conscious of the fact that when I with oil kings, I was essentially writing about the men in power. And I, I wanted to have a woman's perspective in the book. I felt that was very important. One of the one of the gripes I had, frankly, with my editor was that she, uh, you know, the book was cut. This book was cut by 100,000 words. <laughs> uh, this is another 100 pages. But a lot of the stuff taken out was actually from uh, the perspectives of American women who were in Tehran during the revolution. I thought their viewpoints were fantastic. But anyway, um, but I, I've really fought to have Farah's voice in there because here's uh, someone who is not wielding political power, but she's right in the heart of the power center with her husband. And she had, her instincts were so correct the whole way through. And in fact, one of the one of the things I find fascinating about her today still is her understanding of public relations and how to talk to people. She is a very, very empathetic uh, person. She is ex- very kind. I think all Iranians, regardless of their political views, 
um, respect her and and many of them uh, love her. She actually has told me this fantastic story where you know she she uh, was on a plane for, flying from Paris some t- some years ago, and uh, an Iranian ambassador was on the on the same flight, and he came over and he talked to her and he said, "I want to thank you for all the." work you did, the social programs that you developed in Iran, because, you know, we took what you did and built on them. So she was very young, of course, when she met the Shah. She was 19 years uh, younger than him. So she had a different generational outlook. She had a a very uh, sort of keen social conscience because she was from that post-war generation. And she surrounded herself in the palace with her own entourage of younger, more intellectual Iranians who had been, many of them had been educated like she had been educated in France. So there was a sort of a Francophile uh, atmosphere around her circle. And there were some clashes there with her husband's circle. Her husband was more conservative. He was older. The men around him distrusted her. They um, thought she was too liberal. That led, I think, to, um, you know, some unfortunate splits in the in the imperial court through the 1970s and towards the end. But in the book, I, I detail a couple of stories that you'll be familiar with, Patsy, which is that she, um, she fought to the end. You know, her husband really gave up sort of in the early fall of 1978, but Farah fought on and uh, she paid uh, a secret visit to Saddam Hussein in Baghdad, which I detail. And I, this story has been rumored about, uh, but actually she told me it in detail. And I, I thought it was such a striking example of how she refused to accept what was happening. And she wanted, she believed that they should stay in the country. She opposed the departure at the end. And uh, she even said to her husband, look, I let me stay on. If you have to leave, I will stay here and uh, represent the royal family. And he said, no, it's finished. We're finished. We have to leave. How much different the world would have been if she had managed to stay on because things uh, went bad pretty quickly. And the Iranians discovered that they got involved in a war with Iraq that uh, cost the lives of so many, many Iranians. And it's such a tragic. Again, Americans don't. It's hard, you know, for anybody. It's such a complicated situation to put it all straight. But I think it is important. And I think by putting this human face on the Shah, because as you said, everybody thinks he was just the most horrible person. You know, they use him as a example of the most horrible person who ever lived. It's so untrue and so unfair. So that's why I I think this book serves a a great purpose. And I hope that people will pick it up and, and read it as I said, it's very readable, and it's good thing they didn't make you take out fair because this is the I think the most fascinating for for me. I I found those sections the most fascinating because I wanted to know what was going on at the end, what was going on in the palace, and you really have uh, created a wonderful picture of that. Well, thank you, and I, I'm very happy to say that the paperback is coming out in May, and uh, I've been sort of lobbying for that for the past year. And because Iran is now back in the news uh, and the scenes that we saw with the protesters calling for the royal family to come back, my publisher agreed that that we would now, they would republish the book in soft cover. So that will come out in May. Well, so, so you see, I'm ahead of the game. I saw oh. that it was important. <laughs> I, that, I mean, I recognize the importance of this book. I I said, this ha- people have to read this book because it's so necessary for people to have a, a wider yeah. understanding of what the situation is in the Middle East in general. Just quickly, because most people don't understand, they hear Iran, they hear Persia, 
explain to people what that means, because, of course, I know, but tell why we hear both words used. You hear both words. I mean, the Persian, Iran, Persia was was renamed Iran by the late Shah's father, Reza Shah, in uh, uh, the early 1930s. So Persia became Iran. However, today you will hear Iranians who were in um, the older Iranians in particular prefer to say that they speak Persian rather than Farsi because they associate Farsi with the province um, and they uh, they sort of associate it more with the Islamic Republic. So so within the Iranian community as well, the diaspora, there is this, um, it's a little bit of a uh, debate over whether we say that we are Persian or we are Farsi speakers. But Persia became Iran under the, under the Shah's father. And um, uh, so when we talk about the Persian Empire, there's sort of this continuity from sort of two and a half thousand years through. And in my first couple of chapters, I do a very quick skim, just putting all of this in context so that by the time you get into the when the Shah comes to the throne in 1941, you have a, a general understanding came before him. It is a wonderful, wonderful country. I'm always concerned when I when I hear the so-called experts on cable TV talking about Iran, I seriously doubt that many of them have ever opened or read a book on the country. And it's very sad to me because I think that, you know, well, fortunately we have interviewers like you who who, who are trying to bring you know, different perspectives to, to, to your audiences. And and we really have to go out there and find these sources ourselves. But they are they're out there and Iran is not going away. I think Iran is turning. You know, my book has become uh, un- an underground commodity in Iran. It's been smuggled into the country. It's being actually being translated right now. People are you know disguising it, wrapped in sweet boxes, and taking it to their parents and things like that. So there's a real appetite inside Iran, and I, I hope people understand when they read the book where the interest comes from. Oh, I think oh, that's wonderful. I love to hear that story as somebody who loves history as much as you do. I think that's yep. that's a fantastic story. As I I want Iran to be an ally and not an enemy. That we have that potential if we play it right, if we're smart and not listen to some of these idiots on television who, as you say, know nothing about Iran. Or they're just talking. I, 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 they get such ideas. I don't know where. Your book is an important book, and I'm so glad that they are bringing it out in paperback. So I, I will keep talking about it. Maybe you'll come Thanks. back and <laughs> and we will talk about that and, and about those those hundred thousand words. What are you going to do with those extra hundred thousand words that are floating around your head? Oh God, that was heartbreaking because I was only given several weeks to cut the manuscript. <gasps> and that was so, oh. Yeah. Oh. There's a whole story behind behind this book, which I, I as you said, you know, I, I came into book writing as someone who'd read a lot of history, but I came in from the outside, and um, it's been a fascinating journey. And I I uh, I, I like to think that someone out there, uh, especially young people, love history. You, you can do this. I mean, I to teach myself about Iran, um, I went back to school. I did a second master's degree and I did a PhD in addition to writing the two books because I wanted to educate myself. I wanted to go back to school and I wanted to do this properly. I didn't want to write another book that would be dated within another year. I went to Iran. I studied Shiism in a, semi- in a, a seminary-style school in Qom, which, as you know, is the theological center for Shiism yeah. in Run. And uh, I really um, uh, have, I, I'm, I'm a very meticulous researcher and I love the research process. So um, it's always a joy for me to uh, know that people, you know, 
and, read the book, appreciate it. And to know the food. <laughs> you got to eat the food. <laughs> and that's one of the best things about Iran, the food. Yes. It's so fresh. Uh, everything in Iran is unprocessed because Iran has been isolated for so long. And that's what I was struck by. The food, I was what? struck by how lovely the people were. They're, they're actually really unspoiled. They are. And the- I, I hope I hope they don't, when they get more modernized, I don't want them to change their food because to have that barbarique straight out of the oven with butter, it's like heaven. <laughs> And speaking of that, their bread is like heaven. And the name of your book is The Fall of Heaven, uh, The Pallavis and Final Days of Imperial Iran. And you could get it on Amazon. It's an important book. And I hope that people will get it. I hope you'll come back in May and we'll talk more because I'd like to talk more about, I, I think you're an inspiration to everybody who dreams about writing and then makes a decision to do so. Okay. It's possible. Yes. Yes, you can do it. Yes, I'm living proof of that. Okay. Well, Andrew, I want to thank you so much. It's been fun. I think you've done a great job with the book, and I will encourage everyone to read it. Thank you very much for your support. Okay. And uh, we'll have you back. Is that a deal? Excellent. Bye-bye now. Hoda Hafez. Andrew Scott Cooper, and it's called The Fall of Heaven, The Pallavis, and The Final Days of Imperial Iran. And I hope you'll get that. 